The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. Revelation study. I want to continue in just a time of prayer here for a moment. Gina said that she wanted you to reflect on a time when God had been faithful. And hopefully you had a time. Hopefully something was recent too. It was one of those like, yeah, God showed up just, just the other day just last night, maybe. But as I was praying and the Spirit was just saying, there's, there's several in here right now who need Him to show up now. He hasn't... You, you were thinking back, right? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, when was the last time God showed up? It's been too long. So I want to read this psalm to you, and then I want us to take some time and pray. And pray for each other. Um, and just calling out to God to, to meet us where we are, meet us in some of our needs. And I'll, I'll lead that time of prayer. And then after the service day, we'll have communion. But after the service, um, if you want someone to pray for you, if you're saying, yeah, I really need to press in more what you're talking about, and thank you for that prayer time. If you want someone to pray for you, we have people here who will pray. I will pray. Um, And we want to do that. We want to ask God to come and meet you in this moment. Because it's been too long since he's been faithful for you. And so listen to what it says here in the Psalms. This is David. I love him because he is just so raw. You just, that's just David. You just get this guy. Good or bad. Psalm 121, he says this, I lift my eyes to the hills Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Will you pray with me? Father, we come. We come before you, a people who are in great need of you. For too long, for some of us, our delight has been in other things and has not been in you. We haven't seen your hand, the faithfulness in our circumstances that we talked about. Lord, we we need it. 
Father, I'm praying on behalf of my brothers and sisters and those here who are, who are far from you, who don't even know you. Father, I'm praying blessing over them now in this moment that you would meet them in their great need, that you would show them that you are near, you are to be found. You are not a God who is far off on some distant journey doing your own thing and leaving us to our own devices, but you are near. You care. You draw close. And you work. And you move. And you change. And you transform. And you bind up what is broken. You give sight to the blind. You release captives from prisons. Father, there are too many things that, that we are broken in that we need your touch. So, Father, I'm praying now for those who are who are just bound up. They, they want to walk in liberty and the freedom of Christ, but they're bound up in sin. These chains just seem so tight. Lord, in your faithfulness, draw near. Start breaking those chains. Bring to bear in their circumstances the things they need to be free. Bring brothers and sisters to speak truth in their life. God, work a miracle in their life. Father, work in such a way that Christ would be exalted. Their lives would be transformed. If the Son sets them free, they will be free indeed. May they walk in the freedom that comes in Christ. For those who are struggling in, in relationships, God, would you draw near and that, that you would show them the perfect relationship in yourself. Draw them to yourself first and then help them bind up the relationships they have around them. That they would walk in, in the fullness of of unity, that they would see what it really is to dwell in unity, the, the, the closeness that it should be like. God, I just pray for those that are just struggling right now, even as in faith. They look at the world and they see things and they're like, I don't know, I, it just seems so weird and, and just, they're just doubting. Would you strengthen their faith the brothers and sisters here that are like the man, Jesus, that you confronted. He said, if you're willing, you can heal. And you said, if, and he says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Father, help us in our unbelief. Strengthen us that, may, that we may walk in the fullness of your promises, that we would receive them, that we would rejoice in them. God, we need you in this moment. Thank you for the faithfulness of the past days, of the past weeks, months, years. Thank you for your faithfulness that we can remember. And would you show yourself glorious and awesome again. Be faithful to your people today, I pray. Draw us today. May we be strengthened in Christ. And for those who are far off, show your faithfulness to pursue them, to love them. May they see the gospel clearly. May their eyes be open and their hearts be transformed as you give them new hearts and you pour your spirit into them. Father, we pray that they would taste and see that God is good and he is faithful to save. 
Father, we ask that your spirit would be faithful to us as we come now to the word. Illuminate it, teach us, guide us, help us to submit to it that we would walk in joy. The boundaries have fallen in good places for us. May we rejoice in it. So as we come, your people praising you in worship through the study of the revelation that you have given us, show your faithfulness to us once again by teaching us, Holy Spirit, and then empower us to walk in the fullness of what you've taught us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. We are in Revelation chapter 3, and if you have a Bible, you can go to Revelation chapter 3, we'll be in verses 7 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chairs in front of you. That is a free gift for you. Uh, You may take that if you need it. If you just want to use one, it's there for you, just to use it. But please, uh, uh, I I would encourage you to not just follow on the screen, but I would encourage you to get familiar with this Bible, that God's Word, that it would become a good friend to you. So there's your challenge. Pick up a Bible, read with me if you would, or I will read, you can follow along. Chapter 3 of Revelation, this is God's Word to us, starting in chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God for us this morning. So we see here that Jesus is telling John to write to another church. So these couple of chapters, two and three, we see the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, You've probably heard of it, if you're familiar at all with some of the scriptures and Bible teaching and stuff. If you've been in church, at some point, I'm pretty sure you've heard the seven churches of Revelation. Well, that's where we are. We're talking about these seven churches as we get ready to see the full revelation of of the end of days. And so here, uh, John is given this task to write to each church, and now he's writing to this church in Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia, in the Greek, it means brotherly love. So that's what that that word is. It's it's a love for brother. Um, 
and it was named after Adelphus, which was a, a ruler in that region, and so they called it Philadelphia, which actually, if you think about it, the love of brother, but it was actually love of Adelphus. It was in honor of a secular ruler. They named this city after him. So the city uh, of Philadelphia is one of the youngest of all of these. I believe it is actually the youngest church out of the seven here. And, and it has its trials, even though it's young. It's, it's, it's a fledgling church, if we think of it that way. It's, it's a young church. It hasn't been around as long as some of these others. But yet they have just the same trials. I mention that because there's this sense of it's exciting for new things to happen, especially when you think like church planting and churches popping up in different areas and stuff like that, or maybe you you're have been a part of one, or maybe you will be a part of one in the future. Uh, hint, hint. I'll get to that later. And, um, you know, as we think about young churches, when they're set in the culture, they have the same trials, the same barriers, the same things happening as the seasoned church. So Philadelphia is not immune to what's happening in the region. They, they may be young, but they, they have all of these same tensions and, and things happening there. And so when we look around and we think about churches, it's really easy in our culture to church hop. It's really easy to be discontent in a fellowship. And if we've learned anything, we, we should push into Christ and press into our fellowship with one another, that we should grow together, that we should strengthen the church that God brings us into. We should strengthen one another. And sometimes when the tensions of the world are around us and we see different things, we're like, oh, I don't know, this is, maybe this isn't what I want or, or whatever. And then we see a new church sign pop up, starting over here, the brand new church on the corner, you know. And we think, oh, it's going to be better there. It's going to be, oh, it's going to be great. I, I'm going to check that one out. In our culture here in the West, there's, there's churches all over, and they pop up all over. And if you think that going to a new fledgling church is going to make it better somehow, let me just tell you, you are going to have the same trials, the same pressures, the same issues. It's not going to change because you went down the block. You're in the same world. And so here, Philadelphia, being this younger church, still has all the same pressures. The city, it's built as a door to Asia. And so the whole point of Philadelphia was to spread the Greek culture, the Greek language, and the, and the Greek thought. It was to push it into Asia. It was meant to be a, a mission Actually, a secular mission, but a mission nonetheless. It, it, it sat on a major highway. It had people coming in from Asia and then also from Europe going out. So there was a lot of uh, trade and there's prosperity there. It was also positioned on the base of a volcanic cliff on, on these mountainsides, which made uh, the land very fertile, had a lot of diatomaceous earth. And so they had these huge vineyards right there outside of Philadelphia. And so every year there would be these great festivals to celebrate Dionysus or Bacchus, the gods of wine. And there would be lots of drinking and sexual immorality around these festivals. So you can see that even though they were a young church, they had all the same issues that the other churches had around them. 
They're in the midst of it. They're in the midst of it, just like everyone else. But this church is pressing on. This church has nothing negative to it. Jesus is commending them. He's saying, even though you're a young church, look at how you're behaving. Look at your faith. Look at what you're doing. He's, he's commending them in their faith. So they press in. They, they, they go after Jesus. They, they don't let the culture sway them. Jesus identifies himself to this church here. He says that he is the holy one or the true one. So saying that he is the holy one, it points to his nature and the name of Yahweh. He is utterly unique. When he says he's holy, he's set apart. He is utterly unique, distinct, sacred. He alone is worthy of worship and adoration. So Jesus points that out to the church. He says, I am the holy one. I am the one that you worship. I am the one who is sacred. I am the one who is set apart. This is who I am. That's high Christology. He's not less than the Father. He is equal to the Father. He is part of the Trinity. We've been studying that in the past and talking about the person of Christ. So he uses this name that shows up in Isaiah 40, 25. And it says this in Isaiah. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Jesus uses the name of God of the Old Testament for himself here. He is saying that he is God. So when people say Jesus never claimed to be God, yeah, he did right here. Here's another example. There's lots of places where Christ shows himself to be God and that he is worthy of worship, and that he is set apart, and that he is our Savior. He is the one we come to. Here is another spot where he claims the name Holy One. He is the Holy One. The Kadosh is that word. First Samuel 6.20, we see this. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, his holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? And so the, here we see that he is the Holy One. He is Adonai, the Holy God in the original language here. Adonai Hach Elohim Hach Chadesh. That is his name, the Holy One. So Jesus says, this is who I am, the Holy One. In some scholars uh, talking about Isaiah and this name, they say that this often is the prophetic name used, especially in Isaiah. And what it does is it places him starkly in contrast to evil or sin. He says, I am other, sacred, holy, separate, pure, he alone, worthy, of worship. So he, he says to the church, I'm the Holy One. What's that do? Well, it gets our eyes on him. Off of self, off of other things. If there's anyone that we should be focused on, it should be the Holy One of God. It should be Christ. He says, church, keep your eyes focused on me. I am the Holy One. He says, I am the Holy One and I have all authority, basically. If he is the, 
the Holy One who created all things, who is set apart, who is worthy, then he has all authority. That should encourage the church. The one who has all authority is our God, is our Savior, is the one who commissions us, is the one that here we'll read opens the door. And he says he is true. So he's the Holy One and the true one. Now there's two meanings to this word true. It could be true, not false, or it could be true, not fake. So when we were living in Europe, I loved going to the markets because you found all kinds of designer clothes, but they weren't quite right. <laughs> and so here's a picture. So you can pick up any Adidas bag that you would like at the market, it's, and you look at it, and you're like, what's up with that? Jesus says, I am true. I'm not fake. Idols are knockoffs. We looked at other gods in the different cities, and, and some of them had the qualities that we would assign to Christ. Those are knockoffs. They're not true. They're fake. He says, no, I am true. This word true, Jesus is the genuine God. He's not like the idols. He's real God. He is real man. So Jesus says that as the holy and true one, he has the keys of David. So we see this in, in verse 7. He says, he has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So he has the keys of David. Now this is a quote from Isaiah 22, verses 20 and 23. And it says, in that day I will call my servant Elakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place in his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in the secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. So here he is saying, I am the one who has the key. So just as David had the authority to open Jerusalem to anyone and close Jerusalem to anyone, he had authority as king to set the door open for people to come in or to shut it and say those people are not allowed to come in. Christ says, I have that authority. I have the keys of David. I open and no one can shut. I shut and no one can open. So if it's the Lord's will to open, who can come against it? No one. If it's the Lord's will to shut, who can come against it? No one. So he's talking about the kingdom of God here. He opens and shuts. Here, verse 8, he goes on to say this. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. He says, I know your works. Jesus knows how they are working for the gospel, how they're living, what their faith looks like. He, he sees it. 
That's an encouragement. In the midst of the culture, this small church, this young church who's pressing in, he says, you're doing what you should. I know your works. And he's pleased with them. And he's pleased with them. And where they are, he has something for them to do. He says, I see what you're doing. And I have set before you an open door. So he has opened the door for the church there in Philadelphia. It's much like what we see God doing in other passage of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, we see this. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord. Here, Paul's talking about his ministry. He's like, God gave me an opportunity. He opened this up for me. And Paul's talked about God's will for him at different times and discerning God's will, but God made a way for Paul to go and to preach. And even in some of these situations, Paul's discerning what God's will is, as you and I need to discern God's will. But God said to Paul, I've set a door open for you. Paul goes to Troas and he says, I was looking for my helper. I was looking for someone to help do this with me, and he wasn't there, so I, I left and I would come back. But here he says, I went, but I only could go there because God opened this door for me. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 says, At the same time, pray, for us, uh, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So what does he say? He says, pray that God will open doors. So let me ask you this. Have you been praying for God to open opportunities for you? I mean, as elders, we pray for our community, we pray for our church. God opened doors for us as, as the church here in this community to reach others around us. But let me, let me just distill it down even more to you individually. Have you been asking God in your prayer time, God, will you make a door open for me to share with my friends, my family, my coworker? Will you open a door for me when I'm on vacation to, to share with people I'm going to come across when I'm there? Door, God, will you open a door here for us? Like asking these uh, petitions of God as Paul is doing, saying, God, open a door because if you open a way, it will be open for me. No one will shut it. God will make a way. So here he says to them, to the church in Philadelphia, I opened a door for you. Now as the bridge, I believe he's opened a door for us. I think he's opened a lot of doors for us. I mean, we can think about God's faithfulness and go back to the beginning of the service, and, and many of you have a history here that, that predates me, and you can think of what Somerset and the community was like and how you've been praying for different things and opportunities, and you saw God open doors, and you guys went through those doors by faith, and you saw God transform this community, and he's still transforming this community, and there's still doors to go through. There's still areas where we have to faithfully say, God, will you open a way? How many people live in Somerset? Anybody know? No, no, I'm talking about the population. Uh, yes, we got a Somerset church. That's awesome. Everybody's like, I live in Somerset. <laughs> How many people live in Somerset? What's the population science say? Anybody know right off the top of your head? 3,200. 3, yeah. How many people would you say are in church today in Somerset? Do we have 3,200 people in church? No. So we got some work to do. God, we need some doors open. 
God, we need to keep taking the gospel to people that need to hear it. People need to know the grace of Jesus. We, we need to fill this house with worshipers, and we need to keep filling homes and, and other places with worshipers. We're asking God to open doors. And so one of the ways that the bridge has seen God work is that he has established this light here in Somerset, but also we're praying, and I'm asking you to pray with us, we're praying about continuing with the Latino church plant with Alberto Mello. We think that there's an opportunity there. We're asking you to pray that God would open that door. What does that mean? So he has worked with the lead teams for several years, and, and that has been a work through COVID and all these other things. There's been lots of trials and stuff, but God has provided opportunity. He's provided all the resources we need. It, it costs us nothing. Is that provision? <laughs> it, the, the full provision of God is sitting in the bank account. It has come in, and God says, I open a door. Are we going to be faithful to walk through it? Are we going to pray about it and say, Lord, use me. Is this part of what I'm supposed to be a part of? Alberto and Ilga are praying right now, God, is this your will that, that we, listen, that they would join the bridge, that they become part of the bridge, and that we as the bridge would continue this work walk through an open door and preach the gospel to the Latinos around us and the Anglos around us. It's not just a single church plant. It is for all people who need Christ. It's going to look very different than it has over the last four years as they pray about joining us. I, I believe that's what God is doing. If you're a covenant partner, we'll talk more about that at the covenant partner meeting coming up this next week. But pray into that. Pray, is this what God would have you be a part of? Because this is what he's doing in our community. I mean, we open our eyes. He says, behold, I open a door for you. And I had someone ask me, what happens if it doesn't succeed? I, and I said, what do you mean succeed? What is success? Well, what if we don't have the church planted? What have we learned here? It is Christ who plants the church. It is he who gives the lampstand, yeah? So what is the win? The win is, will the people of God walk through the open doors that God opens by faith? The results are his. Our job is to share Christ with those who need to be saved, who need to feel the touch of the Savior, who need to be brought in and loved on and healed and come and, and know God personally. And whether a church gets planted or not, that's not the point. The point is God says, Bridge, I have opened a door before you and no man can shut. Now we can walk through it, or we could say, yeah, we're, we'll, we're really focused on something else. We'll do something else. When God works and brings provision and opens a door, our, our response should be amen and yes. Okay, God, <laughs> you brought us this far. You keep taking us. So we have an opportunity before us. So pray over it. Church, pray over it. It will reach into Somerset. It will reach into New Richmond. It will reach into Baldwin. It will reach into Roberts. This church plant already is pulling people from different areas, and it will reach those who still need the gospel. And God has been so beautiful to us to give us the opportunity to partner in it.
a little church who has little power he opens doors for. Look at this. He says to them, he opens a door, and he says, I've set this door before you. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So in their weakness, they've kept God's word, and they've not denied his name. In verse 8, they, they've done what they should do. They're, they're worshiping Christ. They're, they're being transformed by the word of God. They're, they're worshiping him and telling people about him. They're inviting their neighbors to come in here. They're doing all these things that they should do. And God says, on top of it, I'm opening a door for you. You have little power, but God has all power. And he says, I've opened this opportunity for you. I've opened a door. So here is how Christ will honor their faith. In verse 9, look at this. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So here, Christ says he will bring vindication of all of their suffering, all of the things that they're going through. Jesus will be the perfect judge. He's going to work on their behalf. He says, you have little power, but keep pressing on because I am the one who sees everything and I will vindicate you in the end. The persecution they suffered, soon Jesus would bring a righteous judgment. And those who were accusing and harming the church, they would be humbled and they would see that God's favor and his pleasure was resting on the church and not on the world. He highlights his bride and he says, these are mine. These are the ones I'm pleased with. These are the ones that I love. These are the ones that have come and been redeemed. And those who are of the world, he, he will bring us vindication at the proper time. So verses 10 through 13 study this. Because you have kept my word, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole, on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown, that the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because they have persevered, this church has persevered, the, the promises of what he will give to them and how he will honor them and what he will do, he says that he will keep them, he will protect them. To us, as we look at what he is saying here, the language points very quickly to end times, end days, and that of a rapture. So if you're wondering where the rapture comes in, dun, 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 there it is. He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. He will keep them from that hour, that trial. So I believe that this is found, uh, or I believe that this is a forward glimpse excuse me, of the great tribulation. He's saying there is a great tribulation to come. He's going to keep these people. He will keep them in perfect peace. He will keep them in salvation. They have gone before us and they are in heaven with Christ now. 
but he has kept them. He has kept that promise to them, but he's also given us a glimpse of what is yet to come. Those who love him will be kept from the great tribulation that is coming. So in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, we read this, Alas, that day is so great that there is none like it, nothing like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So this is called Jacob's trouble. Daniel, it's the 70th week, if you're thinking back to Daniel's prophecies of the end of days. This is the prediction Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24, and of which in verse 22 he says this, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. He's talking about the distress that will come on the whole world, not just a region, the whole world. And he says it will be so powerful, the tribulation will be so strong that if those days were not cut short, no one would survive. No one would be saved. So he cuts those days short. This is the trial that Jesus is talking about. And he says to the church, I will keep you from this hour. And so here he promises to keep those who are in Christ and are alive at the beginning of the tribulation. He promises to take them. The tribulation then is like, well, what's the point of it? It's meant for two people. There's two groups of people that the tribulation is for. So we need to understand that. The tribulation, the end days, is meant for, first, those who dwell on the earth. These are not believers. These are not Christ's people, those who dwell on the earth. So it refers to unbelievers who are objects of God's wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 say this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So Ephesians says that the judgment is poured out on those who are, are not gods. They're objects of wrath because they are separated from him. They are in rebellion against him. So this judgment of tribulation is poured out on those who dwell on the earth, on the unbelieving, rebellious world. We see this also used uh, similar language in Revelation 17, 8. It says, The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. You're like, wow, okay, I can't wait till you get there and explain this. And the dwellers on earth, and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life, those who dwell on the earth. This is that language. So one is for unbelievers. They will be going through this tribulation. Number two, the second group that this tribulation is for is for the chosen people of Israel. It's for Israel. It's their tribulation. It's Jacob's trouble. It's, it's what they are being brought through, the true Israel. Romans 11, 25 through 32 says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Israel is hardened, 
and the Gentiles are coming in. That's the church age. That is now. The Gentiles are hearing the gospel, and they are coming in, and Israel is hardened, and they are rejecting Messiah. They're not coming. Not yet. He says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and this way all Israel will be saved. So in the fullness of then Israel will start to come in. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins as regards the gospel. So in in Romans 11, Paul is talking about this hardening that's happened with Israel and for us to understand that we who are coming in are making Israel jealous, that we are receiving salvation from God. Their God, the God of Jacob, has mercy on the Gentiles. And here, their hearts are hardened. But at the rapture, their hearts will be softened. At the end of chapters 3 and 4, what we see is that the church is raptured out, and the 144,000 will come in and start evangelizing. They will, they will start preaching the gospel through the tribulation, and they will save a multitude that no one can count. They will be coming in, and the rapture on the prophetic calendar is the feast of trumpets. The trumpet sounds, the church is raptured, and then the tribulation is the days of awe. This is the preparing of Israel to receive the Messiah at the second coming. The tribulation is the days of awe, where then, when Jesus returns, that is the feast of atonement. So, tribulation starts at the trumpet. And then we have here the return of Christ, the atonement, which is followed by the millennial reign of Jesus, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, when God dwells with his people. So we see that it, it works on their, on their calendar, just as we went back to the cross at, at Easter and we saw how on the calendar of the feasts, all of that was wrapped up in Christ perfectly. The end is all wrapped up in Christ perfectly as well. So we see the fullness. So this is who the tribulation is for. His bride is, is raptured out. Verse 11, Jesus says this. Go back to that with me. And he says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so no one may seize your crown. Jesus says, it's soon. It's soon. And I know we say, well, how soon is soon? It's been 2,000 plus years. It is soon. God does not tarry. He comes at the proper time. It seems long to us because we are here today and gone by the height of the sun. We are like grass, it says in the scriptures. But to God who dwells in eternity, this is soon. This is but a moment. He says, I'm coming soon. And he wants to encourage us, keep looking. Keep looking for me. I am coming soon. So hold fast to what you have. What is that? Hold fast to the gospel by faith. And then go through the open door that he puts before you. So hold fast to your faith. Remember the gospel of grace. And walk with your Savior. Well, I want us to remember. Today we have communion. and This is a time of remembrance. So communion is the remembering of what Christ has done for us, that he took our sin on the cross, that he bore our guilt, our shame, our penalty. He paid the wages of our sin. 
He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we remember what Jesus has done here. Coming to the table is that remembrance that his body was broken, that is the bread, his blood was shed, that is the juice, for my salvation, that I could come in, that I can be called to him in that day. So we remember, we hold fast, we strengthen what God has given us through faith. We strengthen our belief in Christ, our faith in Christ. When we take communion, it says this in Corinthians 11, 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves until he comes again. That's what the church is doing here in the Lord's table. We're proclaiming this. We're remembering this. We're strengthening what we have so that no one will steal our crown. And then as we are strengthened, he says, I put a door in front of you. By faith, we are strengthened. By faith, we go through those doors and we share the gospel, this gospel that saves Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Um, as we get ready to take the table, there is uh, two, two uh, one's a bowl and one's a, one on the plate. There's bread and then there's gluten-free. So if you're wondering, the red, if you're visiting, I'm just letting you know, the red one is gluten-free. Um, and the regular bread is this regular bread and then the juice. Um, we ask here at the bridge that communion is for those who have made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have publicly said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, you've made that confession. Maybe not here, but if you've made that with a fellowship, then we say, come, take it. We're, we're all together. We're the big C church in that sense. We're all part of God's people. We all celebrate Christ. But if you have not uh, received Christ as your Savior, that's fine. This, we just ask that you just refrain from taking it. This is for the church to be strengthened in. This is for, for us. It's a remembrance for those of us who have received Christ. So we pray with me. Father, we thank you for this communion. We thank you for this word. We thank you that you are so good. A little church with little power, you strengthen mightily. And you open doors that no one can shut. And you give us opportunities to take this gospel message to people who need so badly to hear it, just as we so badly needed it. And so, God, we pray that as we come, that there would be nothing between us, that we would just confess anything that is between us. Holy Spirit, show us if there's anything that would, that would keep us from God, any unrighteousness, uncleanliness, anything in us. God, we just want to confess that. And we want to come to the table knowing that you 
are so good and forgiving that if we will confess to you, you'll remove our sin as far as east is from the west. Then we want to come and just partake with joy, thanking you for the cross, thanking you for salvation. And so, God, as we come, would you be blessed as your people remember, and would you strengthen us, Holy Spirit, strengthen us so that we can do all that you call us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.